Amen. Good morning. How are you guys doing today? All right, we're good? Okay. Less is good. Everybody else is in. All right. Hey, I'd like all the students and all of our workers that went on that retreat this weekend, if you guys would stand up. I just want our church to see all of our young people. Come on, kids. Let's stand up. So you guys see. So, man, a lot of kids that went, and uh, I trust that uh, these, you guys can sit down now. All right. I'm just kidding. (laughs) I'm just kidding. Uh, This isn't the future of Southgate. This is Southgate. And uh, we want to see these kids continue to grow in their faith and grow in their love for Jesus. Uh, it's our desire that we see them plug into ministry. Um, pray for April, uh, Chuck, Venice, and Annie. Uh, coming out of uh, Cape Verde, uh, I think it was Friday that they left, and uh, their flight was delayed. Uh, then they got to Lisbon, and then they finally got to New Work. And, um, and because of all the delays, they didn't even make it home last night. Uh, fingers crossed, and by God's grace, uh, she, she's going to come. They're going to come home today. Specifically, I want to see my wife. Amen. <laughs> I'm really uh, a bit lost without her, and she uh, uh, she does a great job. I think I did laundry this week for the first time in many, many years, and uh, I was expecting her to be home, and she didn't make it, and so I had to do some stuff that I don't normally do. So she needs to get home. <laughs> I'm just kidding, and so I do my part for sure. You know, we've been talking about the church, and we've been talking about our house and, like, what we want Southgate to be, and it's really not even what we want Southgate to be. It's what God desires for us to be, and ultimately what we want to talk about is, like, what is our church going to be characterized by, and who are we going to be as a people? And last, well, the first week, we talked about Jesus being first place in everything, and it's our hope, and it's our desire that you know, in Colossians 1.18, it said that Jesus might come to have the preeminence or that Christ might come to have the first place in all things. And so this church, Southgate, it's not about me and it's not about you and it's not about personalities and preferences and styles and music. This church is about Jesus Christ. And we're going to do everything that we can to make it about Jesus. And we're not going to allow our egos to get in the way. Uh, we're not going to allow positions or uh, power struggles to be a, a thing here. Uh, at the end of the day, Jesus Christ himself is the Lord of the church, and he's the one that is deserving of our worship today, and that's why we gather here this morning. And then last week, we talked about the church in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, where Jesus began, uh, to some degree, establishing what would be the church and, and, and talking about it in its embryonic form, if you will, and discussing like, hey, look, you're a part of something, listen to this, that can never fail, Amen. And so we're a part of the church of the living God, and we're not a business, and we're not an organization, but the church is an organism, and it's growing, and it's changing, and it's evolving constantly. And then today, we find ourselves in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, and I want to read this text to you this morning. And so if you would, turn there, and we'll read it together, Acts chapter 1, verse number 8. Jesus has died on the cross. He's been in the grave for three days. He is now making his final appearance to, to several hundred disciples, and he is going to commission the disciples of Jesus Christ. This isn't a commission that's given to the church, but it's given to the disciples of Jesus Christ. And this one passage alone should put to rest the idea that evangelism and witnessing is a gift that's given as a gift of evangelism. Because I get it that some people are better at talking to people. I get it that some people are better at, at, at um, sharing their faith and being bold in those things because Some are introverts, some are extroverts. I certainly understand personality types. But this puts to rest the idea that every single one of us in this room has a responsibility as a disciple of Jesus Christ to recognize that the moment that we were saved, 
we were simultaneously called into the mission of God. And we were called to be witnesses of the truth that we've actually gathered together today to worship in. We're, we're here, and we're gathering for a reason. And in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus says, But you will receive power. And he's talking about the day of Pentecost. And when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, look at what he says. You, you, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now, Southgate, our church is over 30 years old. And over the years, there have been so many victories, and God has done some miraculous things. But it's our desire not to live in the past, but it's also our desire to believe that God has a plan for Southgate in the coming days. And I believe that God wants to see Southgate impacting our community. And I, I believe that God wants us to impact the world with the gospel. I genuinely believe that God desires to bless our church. So we're taking some time to define and describe from God's Word what a church should actually be and what we do, what we value, what is the vision, what is the goal, what are we, why are we even here today? What is this all about? And I've often dreamed of what it might be to be a part of a church that was reaching people who do not have a relationship with Jesus. For me, there's nothing more exciting than to see someone follow Jesus Christ as their Lord and personal Savior. When I was pastoring in Chicago, very often as a church planner, I planted a church, and so I, I, I see the trends of churches, and I see that there's a growth cycle, and there's a, a, a not a growth cycle, a life cycle, if you will, to a church. When you, for some of you that are here today that were founding members of Southgate, you probably remember those early days. In those early days, man, you didn't care if you had all the bells and whistles. You didn't really care if you had a facility. You just wanted to get together with your friends, with your family, and you wanted to win your neighbors and the nations to Jesus Christ because that's really what it's all about. And over time, what happens is churches tend to have this tendency to unintentionally drift towards inwardness and say, hey, we've got enough people in the room. We've got enough in the bank. We, we, we've done some things in the past. And I just don't believe that that's God's design for the church. See, several years ago, I was preaching at the Church of Chicago, and I would do a series most years on the idea of evangelism and on the concept of evangelism and witnessing and sharing your faith and doing so personally as a disciple of Jesus Christ. And one time I had someone come to me and they said, man, all you do is talk about winning people to Christ. All you do is talk about sharing your faith. Man, why don't you talk about something else? So a couple of things about that. Number one, I sit down with the staff in August, and we go through a preaching calendar, and we set a calendar for the church for the entire year, and we, we lay out everything that we're going to talk about every year. We're going to talk about missions in the fall. We're going to talk about stewardship and giving here uh, in the spring, and we're going to talk about witnessing. And so it, we're going to talk about uh, the seven sins of suburbia coming up here in a few weeks, and we're going to talk about friendships, and we talk about a plethora of things from this platform. So... One, not a true statement, but then secondly, I just remember what Paul said to the church at Rome. You know what Paul said? He said, man, I'd give up my own, my own salvation, my own security in Christ if my brothers would know who Jesus is. And to some degree, I just wonder, is there anything really more important than actually sharing your faith and telling people about Jesus Christ? Is there really anything that's more important, more of a priority and so the big idea today is this, and I really want us to dial in and focus in on this, this thought today, and that is this. Every disciple, 
Every disciple of Jesus Christ has the power to be a witness. Every single one of you in this room can be a witness for Jesus Christ. Every single one of you can tell someone about the life-giving, transforming power of Jesus Christ. Can I get an amen today? Amen? Every one of us can do this in one way or another. Every single one of us in this room has struggles. And I, I want to be the first to admit that I'm a, I'm a deeply flawed individual. There have been times in my life, man, where I've just wondered, all right, this is it, man. God's going to put me on the shelf. There have been times where I've struggled with things, and there have been times where um, I, I don't feel like I've, I've cut the mustard, if you will. You old-timers will know what that phrase means. I, just, I, haven't, I haven't met the metric, if you will. And yet, there have been seasons in my life where I've even doubted God, man. I've just wondered, and I've laid in bed at night and wondered, man, like, is this thing real? Is what we're doing here actually the real thing? Is, is God really God? And does God really love me? Is he really interested in me? And, I, and I've had those questions, and, I, and I've had those I've had seasons of, of, of deep struggle and, and, and sadness and difficulty. But even though most of us in this room could point to a time in our life where we struggled with sin, and we struggled to follow Jesus, and we can all, every single one of us, recognize that life is incredibly difficult and hard, and even sometimes crippling, we cannot remove ourselves from the reality that Jesus Christ himself has called every single one of us to share our faith, even in the moments where we doubt, even in the moments where we struggle, even in the moments when we're afraid. And so we find in this passage of Scripture that in his last appearance before the disciples, he shares, Jesus shares with him the purpose for every disciple, and it's, it's the purpose of every church. Now, worship is the priority. We've gathered here today as followers of Jesus Christ those of us in this room today who know and love and follow Jesus and pursue him with our life, we're here to worship the king of the ages. Amen? We're here to lift him up. We're here to give him praise. We're here to give him honor because he is the king of kings and he's the Lord of lords. But you come in here and we build you up in here so that we can send you out there so that you can be a witness to those who do not know Christ as their savior. See, worship is the priority. Mission is the purpose. Following Jesus means going where he leads, even when that means that we're to go to the ends of the earth to share the gospel. Some of you think these missions trips that we send our teams on are a vacation. Man, uh, the team that just went spent two days delayed in Portugal just hanging out at a hotel. They came back, and now, uh, you know, obviously they were delayed on, at every turn. Uh, they set up <laughs> this week, they set up, they went from village to village setting up medical care. Usually they go to a location and they're there for the week. This week they met in three different locations, and I think they served over 3,000 patients and several hundred people put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And Southgate is a part of that, amen? And so we go to the ends of the earth. And so this, so this morning, this might sound a bit overwhelming, and, and I get that, man. Like, I get it. I really get this. Honestly, it's kept me up at night because there's people in my life, man. There's people that I love, friends and neighbors, people that, I, that I've met, that if they were to slip out into eternity today, they would end up in a crisis hell. All because they haven't been told who Jesus Christ is, or they haven't gotten to the place where they completely understand what the gospel is, or what the Bible is trying to show them, and they would, they would slip out into eternity without a personal relationship with Jesus, unforgiven of their sins. So Southgate, this morning, I want to challenge you to consider setting aside the excuses, and consider what obedience to Christ looks like. I want you to really consider what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. 
Because being a disciple of Jesus Christ means that we will share our faith. It means that we will be bold in, in, in proclaiming who Jesus was and is. We will not shy away from that, but we will not be obnoxious. We will not be jerks. We will, be not, we, will, we will not be rude, and we will not be political about this thing either. Because just because you're a Christian doesn't mean you're a Republican or a Libertarian or a Democrat. And in Chicago, it didn't mean you were a Sox fan or a Cubs fan. Man, it just meant you're a follower of Jesus Christ. And that's what we're going to be about. And so this morning, I'd like you to consider how God has and how God wants to enable us to accomplish this task. How can, how can we legitimately reach our neighbors? And how can we legitimately reach the nations? Because I, I believe if we lay aside the excuses, we could be a part of, of really seeing God work. And I don't know about you, man. I've got one life to live. The Bible says... Um, oh, man... Uh, Lord, help me. Our life is nothing more than a vapor. It's a mist. The Bible says that do not, do not boast of tomorrow because you do not know what a day will bring forth. Moses wrote in, in the book of Psalms, teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. Listen, my friends, I get one life. I get one shot. I get one opportunity to live this life, and I want to do it for the glory of God and for the good of others. And I would hope and pray and trust that every single one of us in this room that knows Christ personally as our Savior, that we would make a commitment to be a disciple and a follower of Jesus Christ that is willing to go where Jesus leads and to say what Jesus wants us to say to those that he wants us to say it to. Say amen. Now, first of all, we see in our text this morning, that Jesus has given us a powerful proclamation. Jesus called his disciples and us to be witnesses. It's very clear in this text. No one escapes his calling. If you are a follower of Christ, you have been simultaneously called into the mission of God. And so we're proclaimers of the gospel. And that's why we gather each week. We're, we're here and then we're sent out into the world to proclaim. And we gather around the message and the mission of the gospel. Now they gathered because they had this idea, this conviction and they gathered around, and it began with their conviction that Jesus died as a substitute for, for sinners. Jesus died as a substitute for sinners. This morning, we understand as followers of Christ that Jesus Christ wasn't another prophet with another religious message. He was God himself, and God himself sent his only begotten son to be on a rescue mission to save us. And every single one of us that have put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ have been forgiven of our sins and have been saved. And we are indebted to the one who purchased us with his own blood. Amen? And so he came to pay for our sins. Now, I want you to think about that just for a moment. Do you realize that you will not lock eyes with anyone today that Christ did not go to the cross for? You will not meet someone today. There will not be a single person in your world that you come in contact with today that God doesn't love and Christ didn't die for. And so we, as those who follow Christ, those who know Christ, have a responsibility. Yesterday I was listening to an interview with uh, Tim Tebow. Uh, those of you that know that he played football for the University of Florida and basically dominated on the field. And I say that because I'm a Florida Gator fan. Most of you think I'm from Chicago and I'm a city slicker, but I grew up in Polk County, Florida with a bunch of rednecks, all right? And so in this interview, you know what he said? He said, not sharing the gospel is the most selfish thing you can do. 
Do you really believe, I want to ask you this this morning, do you really believe that Jesus Christ died on a cross for sinners? Do you believe that? Do you believe that Jesus can forgive sins and set people free from their sins? Because the first church did, and because they did that, it changed everything. 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ went, on a, went out on a rescue mission to deliver us from sin and death, and now he's called us to go and rescue those who are far from God. And so they had a conviction that Jesus was a substitute for sinners. But also, they believed that Jesus had risen from the dead. They believed. They believed it because they had seen it with their own eyes. This proved to them beyond any doubt that Jesus was, in fact, who he said that he was. They understood that if this were true, that this was the greatest act of grace ever imagined, that God... Creator dying on the cross for his rebellious children. This was the most important message ever given because it's the only message that can give us hope. That's why they would say in Acts chapter 4 verse 12 that there is salvation in no one else. For there is no, under, no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must or, or by which we must be saved. Hey, listen, I I don't know about you, but there's a lot of messages out there today. There's a lot of pundits on Fox and CNN and MSNBC. There's a lot of advertisements that are going out and saying, hey, if you do this, it'll change your life. Hey, if you do this, it'll make you younger. If you do this, you'll lose weight. There's a lot of messages out there, but there's only one message that matters for all eternity, and it's that Jesus Christ died on a cross, and he came back from the dead, and if you follow him and you put your trust in him, he will forgive you of your sins. You'll be right with God and spend eternity with him forever. That is the only message that really matters in this life and in the life to come. God gave us a powerful message. Do you believe this? And do you believe this? Has this captured you until you can't shut up about it? Has it? I mean, what is it that you're so interested in? What is it that you're so, that you're so uh, taken by and so passionate about What's astounding is we care more about the Kansas City Chiefs than we do about the message of the gospel. Most of us care more about our sports team or our hobby, and we talk about our cars, and we talk about our vacations, and I'm guilty of this too. We talk about things that are so trivial when there are people around us who are slipping out into eternity without hope. Are we willing to go anywhere with it and give up anything for his declaration? Because if you haven't been If you've been captured by the message, you don't need much motivation to get off the sidelines and get in the game because there's no such thing as someone who really believes that Jesus is alive and sits on the sideline. Now, the second thing that we see in this passage is this, is Jesus gave us a powerful promise. Now, we talked about the promise that Jesus gave last week, but this is a completely different promise. See, in every chapter of Acts, you get the sense that the church is simply just, they just follow the Spirit. They're guided by and they're led by the Holy Spirit of God. He's the real mover. He's working in people over here. He's moving believers in this direction. And all they did, this is what the believers in the first church did. You know what they did? They yielded. They yielded to the Holy Spirit of God. A.W. Tozer said almost 50, 60 years ago, he said, you know, 90 to 95% of what goes on in our churches today could go on and happen without the Holy Spirit of God at all. Think about that for a minute. What if we came to church today and we worshiped? We heard preaching, we sang songs, lifted our hands, and we stood and we clapped when we're supposed to do all that. We threw some money in the offering plate. But would it really mean anything if the Holy Spirit of God didn't show up today? And then I flip the script and I say, okay, what would this look like today if the Spirit of God showed up? 
What if God, I mean, in his manifest presence and in his manifest power, demonstrated himself to be powerfully present in our midst today? How would that change things? What if we really believed with anticipation and with expectation that God is going to work? What if we believe that when we stepped out into our neighborhoods where we live, work, and play, and, and, and with our friends and our coworkers and, and those that we roll with, what if, what if we believe that the Holy Spirit was already working before we even got into that moment and he showed up and all we had to do was be present and be faithful and obedient and God did all the work? Amen? That's the kind of church that God wants us to be, Southgate. See, in Acts, God's people experienced repeated fillings of the Spirit. They faced new opposition. They had new opportunities. And the power of the church comes from the Holy Spirit, not man. Listen, I'm not here to bolster the church. I am feeble, finite, flawed, and weak in many ways that many of you don't even know. And the only way this thing goes forward is not because you have a great pastor or you have a great staff or because we have great leadership or programs or processes or money in the bank. This thing goes forward in the power of the Holy Spirit of the living God. And we need that more than we need a pastor. We need that more than we need staff. We need that more than we need money. We need that more than we need programs. We must rely and yield to the Holy Spirit of God. We need that in our lives. We need that in their church. The promise of the Holy Spirit, it's, it's incredibly significant. The Holy Spirit does a lot of things in Luke and Acts, but the main things that he does is he fills people to proclaim the gospel. We see spirit-filled people proclaiming Christ. Someone said the world was not turned upside down by experts, but by converts. Wearsby said it this way, the Holy Spirit isn't a luxury, it's a necessity. The Spirit of God is moving you personally into people's lives to complete the Great Commission. And so I ask you this morning, are you yielded so He can move you where you need to be? Now, I know you're going to get tired of hearing me say this, but I, I, honestly, I don't care. The church is a movement, and movements, by definition, move. And if you're not moving, you're not part of the movement. And listen, there's, there's a couple of thoughts and implications of this idea of the Holy Spirit. If we're following the Holy Spirit, we want you to understand that we want to be a movement. We want to move in the direction that God is leading us. We want to move in the direction that the Holy Spirit is guiding us. Because we're not built on programs and places and personalities. And if we're going to have a vision for the future, it must include us believing convictionally that we are not here as a country club or a social gathering, but we're a bunch of deeply flawed misfits that are doing our best, struggling to follow Jesus Christ. Amen? We're doing our best. We're doing our best. And that's the beautiful thing about the scriptures. Some of you are sitting in here today and you're like, man, God can never use me. I struggle with this area of my life. I struggle in sin in this area. Or in my past, there has been this in my past. And if people knew this about me, I would never be able to serve God. Some of our heroes in the Bible, I mean, I, I'm reading through the Bible right now, going through Genesis, and I'm talking, Abraham, on two different occasions, lied about who his wife was. And God told Abraham, he's like, I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to give you many, many nations. And this is the guy that God was going to start his people with, Abraham, and he lied on two different occasions. Moses led the people out of, in the book of Exodus, out, out, out of Egypt. He led the people of Israel out of Egypt. Moses literally killed a man with his bare hands. He, listen, 
Moses didn't take a sniper shot. Uh, he didn't throw a knife. Like, he literally, out of anger, grabbed the guy with his own hands and choked him out until he breathed no more. And then God used him later on to be his man to lead the people out of bondage. David? David was a man after what? God's own heart. David, man, he killed Goliath with a stone, just threw it, knocked him right in the head, killed him, and then cut his head off and held it up, right? And we, we would say, man, he wrote most of the psalms, like many of the psalms, raw, emotionally, beautiful psalms that speak to us in our, our moments of greatest emotional need. But he slept with Bathsheba, his friends, and his soldier's wife, had a kid, lied about it, then had him killed. I wouldn't let David watch my kids, Right? David would be like, I'm going to play the harp for him. I'm like, nope, you're not getting anywhere near my kids. I'll help them go to sleep. No. No, we're not doing that, David. Chill. Go watch the goats and the sheep. Oh, man. That's the beautiful thing about the gospel. Paul, he persecuted the church and was responsible for Christians uh, being martyred. Peter cursed a girl out uh, on three different occasions, and 30 days later, he's a church punter. No way he would have made it through NAM assessment, Right? Jesus pulled up on the shore and said, go get my disciples and Peter. And he pulls up on the shore and he gets him a, 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 a McFish meal, right? A filet of fish. Hooks him up with a Hebrew happy meal. And then he restores him. And now he's going to plant the church and be there on the day of Pentecost. So we got to stop making excuses that we're not enough. God uses deeply flawed people. But then we also want to empower you and release you to follow the Spirit. I'll say this, 39 of the 40 miracles that happen in the book of Acts happen outside of the church. The greatest ministry in our church should be happening outside the walls of Southgate. That kind of ministry, that kind of impact should be happening by Southgaters all over the community and all over the world. See, we're not a cruise ship, we're not a battleship, but we're an aircraft carrier. We're a base of operations. We want to do everything we can to equip you to do the work of the ministry. We want you to become disciples that have an impact on the world around you. That's why we bring in interns. We just brought on our first ever church planning resident that's praying about and considering planting a church in Columbia, uh, Missouri in the next few years. And so we want to be a church that's multiplying and growing. And when I say that, you know, some of us are worried like, oh man, we need to add more people to Southgate. We need to add more money to the budget. We need to do this. We don't need to add anything. We need to multiply at every level of ministry. If you work on the tech team, you should be mentoring and apprenticing somebody. You should be discipling somebody. If you're on the cleaning team, the hospitality team, if you're on the finance team, if you're on the uh, basket-weaving, underwater, gospel-preaching Jesus team, every single one of us should be discipling someone so that we're multiplying disciples of Jesus Christ, not adding people to the church and not stealing sheep from other churches, but that we're reaching people that do not have a relationship with Jesus. Can I get an amen on on that today, amen? That's the goal. We're not here to swap sheep because someone gets mad at this church, so they decide to go to that church. No, man, we're here to build and make and multiply disciples that make disciples that make disciples of Jesus Christ. So what we're encouraging you to do is do what you do, but do it strategically for the glory of God and for the gospel to be spread to those who do not know him. That's why I love Acts 4.13. It says that when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men. And look what they did. They took knowledge that they had been with Jesus. You can be deeply flawed. You can be struggling with sin. Man, you can be uneducated. You don't have to be a vocational pastor, a vocational minister to share your faith. Man, in the New Testament, in the first church, 
they just spent time with Jesus. And because they had spent time with Jesus, there was a boldness about them. And the Spirit of God indwelt them to share their faith. The third thought is this, is we never want to be a ministry that takes care of our own needs or replace people just attend. That's why we send out mission teams. That's why we support church planners. That's why almost 15% of our entire budget this year is going to go out the door, not to lights, not to salaries, not to programs here, not to ministries here, but to ministries here and around the world. And that is a blessing that we as a church can give almost 180000 last year and 150000 this year to go to missions so that people can know who Jesus Christ is. But it's not just about giving dollars. It's about you and me learning. Just this morning in Kurt Preview's class, I'm in their class, we're talking about uh, Matthew 16, 18, and we start talking through what does it look like for you and me to share our faith where we live, work, and play? What does it look like for us to, to have a gospel conversation with, with someone that may not know Christ as their Savior? What does it look like for us to be doing that? How do we pray for that? How do we look for those opportunities? And how do we seize them for the glory of God? And then Jesus wraps this thing up with a powerful plan. See, we got to mobilize disciples who make disciples. And that's the only way to push back the lostness in this world. He said to go to Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost part of the world. See, we serve and we proclaim strategically where we are. (laughs) I've heard this in the church for 20-some years, man. I've been in ministry for 20 years. And so often I hear people say, well, you know, I don't have the gift of evangelism as if that would ever give you an out for not being a faithful witness of Jesus Christ. God help us. Listen, sharing our faith and being a witness isn't a technique problem. It's an apathy and a belief problem. We don't believe that God really wants to save people. We don't really believe that the Holy Spirit can indwell us and use us and that God can give us the words to say, I've been, I've been, I've been a, a follower of Christ since I was five years old. Five. I'm 44. So for almost all my life, I've known and followed Jesus. I was raised in a preacher's home. I grew up in church. I've been in church. I've been around this thing for my entire life. In fact, I remember as a kid sitting in Calvary Baptist Church in Lakeland, Florida, and when I'd get out of line, my mom would go to Peckin. You know? How many old-timers know what Peckin is? My mom had a finger, and I swear it was 10 feet long. And she'd just go to Peckin my head right in the middle. She didn't even say a word to me, but she'd peck my head, and she'd hit on the tip of her finger, at the right spot on my head, and I just knew, like, oh, man, that hurt like crazy, man. I, you would have thought that she put me, like, in a, 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 a World Wrestling Federation move by Hulk Hogan and Randy Macho Man Savage. It was horrible, right? I grew up in church. I've been to seminary, been to Bible college, and I still get butterflies sometimes when an opportunity arises for me to share my faith with Christ. Are they going to think I'm weird? Are they going to think I'm a kook? Are they going to think that I'm being too, too, uh, too obnoxious? Are they going to think that, that my beliefs are, are um, uh, not their own and they're going to think that I'm, 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 I'm pushing this on them or I'm proselyting them? All those things. So for me, it's not a technique problem. It's an apathy and a belief problem. The question is no longer if we're called to leverage our lives for the Great Commission. The only question for all of us today is where and how do we serve? Because see, when normal Christians embrace this idea of calling, the gospel spreads like a prairie grass fire. The religious elite and the vocational pastors are not going to be the ones that move the gospel. It will be through the lives of ordinary, everyday people. That is you. You. 
That's what the book of Acts goes out of its way to communicate. The gospel travels faster around the world in the mouths of regular Christians than it does through full-time, seminary-trained vocational workers. So it's time for ordinary believers. In this passage, man, Jesus wasn't talking to the scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees. You know who he's talking to? Those who followed him. Those who put their faith in him. Those who trusted him. Those who were willing to do what he asked them to do. They didn't have education. They didn't have seminary. They didn't have training. They had just seen the risen Christ. They knew that they had been forgiven of their sins and that he died on the cross for them and that he loved them. And so what did they do? They just started telling people. And they started showing them love. And they started acting differently than their religious counterparts. They started acting differently than the world in which they live. So I want to ask you this morning, what's your next step? Are you discipling? Are you serving? Are you willing to go on a mission trip? Are you willing to share the gospel? Listen, God wants to use us. Baden is coming on staff as one of our, our church planning ministry uh, resident. He and I are talking about him planning a church in Columbia, Missouri. And I said, Baden, anybody in our church that you can talk into moving to Columbia, Missouri, to move with you there, to plan and to plant this church, no one in our church is off limits, except for me. I'm not going to Columbia. I made a commitment to be here. But anyone, anybody that he can convince, hey, man, if they can buy into the vision, if they want to roll into this thing, if they want to invest in this with their life, let's do this. Let's roll. Let's see what God can do. Because it's one thing for us to just add, let's say, 50 more people to our church this coming year. But let's say Baden goes and plants a church, and that church grows to 100, 200, 300. Then, we've, then we're talking multiplication. Then we're talking, and then now we're seeing what it looks like for our church to begin to give birth and to give life, not only to Springfield, but to Columbia, or Kansas City, or St. Louis, or Chicago, or Cape Verde, or places around the world. That's what multiplication looks like, and God wants to use you to do this. So how are we going to do it? We've asked you this, this year to help us reach an outreach goal of 10,000, and so I know some of you think, man, that's crazy. That's a lot. If every person in this room, I'm going to say this for the next several weeks, if every person in this room would witness to one person every week, we'd hit that goal, no problem. Every one of us. The next thing that we're doing is the 10-2 Collective, and Derek mentioned that this morning in the services. And so every day at 10-20, it blessed my heart, man. It, like, blessed me today to hear all the alarms going off. Because every day what we're doing is we're asking you to take 10-20, no matter what you're doing. I was on a Zoom call this week. My alarm started going off. And I was talking to our missionary, Ross Frierson, over in Wales. I said, bro, we got to stop for a minute. i got to pray real quick. Let me pray for us. He's like, what? I was like, hold on. Let me pray. And I'm like, God, the harvest is plenteous. The labors are few. Send some labors into the harvest and help Southgate to be a part of that harvest. Amen. I just prayed that prayer right then on the cross. I said, All right, what were you saying? And, and so we just rolled back into that. Our staff, we're doing this. Now, some of you are like, man, I, I don't know how to share my faith. I don't, I don't know how to witness. In our life groups, we've, we've given you four ways every week that you can witness. And here, here's what they are. Number one, invite someone to church. You know, the statistics tell us, and numbers don't lie, that 85 to 90% of people said that if someone would invite them to church, they would go. Lost people, not Christian people, lost people. 85 to 95% of people said, or 85 to 90% of people said, if someone would just invite me to church, I would go. Second one, and this is for, for all of us, hand someone an invitation to our church, and we have them all over the building, Hey, give someone an invitation. Are those on there? Are they come, come, come up there, right? 
Uh, did we not get this on there? It's okay if we didn't. So number one, if you're writing, taking notes, um, the first one is invite someone to church. Second one is hand someone a, an invite. And here's what you do. Some of you are afraid you're an introvert and you don't like talking to people. Trust me, I get that. I'm an introvert, extrovert. I can hang out with people for a certain amount of time. Then I'm like, oh, all right, I'm done. I need a nap because you wore me out, right? How I many you know what I'm talking about? The introverts in the room say amen. amen. Uh, there you go. All right, so some of you this morning are like, man, I don't know if I can witness. Here's what you can do. Take a gospel invitation or, or an invitation to church and go up to someone and say, hey, man, would you come to my church? And then just run away, right? <laughs> just bounce. They're going to think you're weird, probably that we're a cult, but at least you're trying, right? Make an effort. Pray with someone about their soul. Pray with them. Pray with them directly. Hey, man, how can I pray for you? What's going on in your life right now? And then pray for their salvation. And then share your testimony or do the three circles and have a gospel conversation. Listen, man, every one of us in this room could do one of those four things for the next year. Every one of us can do that. The question is, will we? Do we really believe that God has given us the power to be a witness? Do we really believe that, that evangelism is a gift? Or do we believe that it's a calling? That we, as followers of Christ, that we, as disciples of Jesus Christ, have been called into something significant, something eternal, something transcendent, and that God wants to position us individually and corporately as a church to bring hope to those who do not know Christ as their Savior. So if you would this morning, could I have every head bowed and every eye closed? How many of you say to me this morning, Pastor Jason, I know with a certainty that I am a follower of Jesus Christ. I know that I've been forgiven of my sins, I'm right with God, and I know that heaven is my home. Would you lift your hand? And just as a way of testimony, let me see those today. Man, I know for certain that Christ is my Savior. Amen. Now, how many of you are sitting here today and say, man, I don't know for sure that Christ is my Savior. I don't know for certain that I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. Man, if I were to slip out into eternity today, I don't know that heaven is my home. Would you pray for me? Because I'd like to know more about that. Is there anyone that's like that that's in here today? Man, I don't know for sure. All right, amen. Now, how many of you say to me this morning, man, Pastor Jason, I want to grow as a disciple of Jesus Christ this year. And part of me growing as a disciple of Jesus Christ is I don't want to make excuses, but I want to commit to being a witness in some way, in some fashion this year. In fact, Pastor Jason, I want God to use me to see someone begin a personal relationship with Jesus. I want that for my life and my discipleship this year. Would you raise your hand and let me see that? Okay, all right, lots of hands. The majority of hands went up today. Let's do this, church. Would you stand to your feet this morning with your heads bowed and your eyes closed? Father in heaven, this is a heavy message because it lays on us the responsibility, the calling and the commandment that you've given to us to obey as disciples of Jesus. This isn't a, a church thing. It's a, it's a disciple thing. We tend to come to church and we believe that, oh, someone else will do that. Someone else will be a witness. Someone else will serve. Someone else will be a part of that. No, no, no. Every single one of us have this calling. Every single one of us have this responsibility. And God, it's my prayer this morning that I would lead the way, that I would set the example, that I would share my faith, that I would love my neighbors and my friends, the people that you're putting in my life, that I'd be a good witness and a good testimony to them, that I would love them, that I would show them the love of Jesus Christ. And when you open the door, that I would yield to the Spirit of God and that you would give me the words to say and that, Lord, you would save them and redeem them and rescue them. And God, I pray for our church that we would yield to the Holy Spirit. And I pray, God, that we would be a spirit-filled people and that we would come to church with an expectation and an anticipation that, that our lost friends and our, our, our lost coworkers and our, our, our peers and, and those we go to school with, that, that they would come and they would hear the gospel and they'd put their faith in you. And God, that you would use us all. 
to push it, push back the lostness and advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now look, church, Derek's playing. He's going to sing in a minute with the worship team. More than half of you raised your hand today. More than half of you. Now, you don't have to come down to the altar today. You don't have to. You can pray in your seat. But there's something about coming down to an old-fashioned altar and bending the knee and saying, Lord, I yield my life to you. Lord, in obedience to your command, I want to be a great commissioned disciple of Jesus Christ. I'm not doing this for Pastor Jason. I'm not doing this for Southgate. I'm doing this for you, God. I'm doing this because I want to serve you. I want to be used by you. I want to, I want to be a part of, of seeing someone come to know Christ personally as their Savior this year. And so if God has spoken to your heart and you want to take that next step, and, and the steps are going to be different for every one of us in this room. Every one of us. We're all in a different place spiritually, and that's quite all right. But I'm asking you this morning to come to the altar and say, Lord, put someone in my life that doesn't know Christ as their Savior. Give me the words to say. Empower me by your spirit and help me to be a part of this thing of reaching people with the good news of Jesus Christ. So as Derek sings on this first note, right now, if God has spoken to you and you raised your hand this morning, would you come right now on this first note?